During my college days, I remember this young couple getting married. They were so cute. He was fine and so was she. They couldn't have been much older than myself at that time, about 18 to 20 years old. By all appearances, they were the perfect couple, except soon after the wedding, the girl called her father from the West Coast to come and get her from the East Coast. And just like that, she was gone. And the fella, well, he was obviously crushed. I don't know if they ever found their way back to one another, but I do know that marriage is for the mature because no matter how cute you are, there are challenges and there are disappointments. And so I want to encourage the couple that's losing hope today. And I want to give you a why for marriage on this week's episode of the Woman Pray Podcast. Stay tuned. To the grown woman, pray. To the woman looking for answers, pray. To the woman who's busy and just needs a change, pray. Pray, woman. Stop comparing yourself, pray. Stop grumbling, pray. Stop giving excuses. Stop counting yourself out, pray. Stop discounting God. It's time to pray. Welcome to the Woman Pray Podcast. Welcome back to the Woman Pray Podcast. I'm starting off with a saying that you've probably heard before, and that is, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It means that when situations get difficult, the strong will work harder to meet the challenge. And that's exactly what marriage requires. I don't care how handsome or pretty you are, how much you love love, or how perfect you look as a couple. Marriage is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the weak, the selfish, or the immature. And all of us are prone to run away from pain and towards pleasure. And so while God's holy institution may look like pleasure from the outside, once you're in it, Hard work and fortitude, patience and endurance are all necessary for every challenge, whether the challenge is small or it's heavy. It's necessary before happy or pleasure ever comes. Now, I must say, based upon a few testimonies that I've heard, that there are some happy couples around us, and there's nothing fake about it. These are people who enjoy each other's company. They share values, they respect one another, and they gracefully manage differences of opinion. You are considered mature, mature even when it's difficult, and so you're genuinely happy. And I not only commend you, but I celebrate you and would love to hear your story. In fact, we'd all like to hear your story. So I invite you to go to womanpray.com to share what you and your spouse do to practically keep it at 100. In the meantime, there are others who consider themselves mature and have married, but have also found the entire experience very hard, if not completely miserable. So now you're convinced that you've married the wrong person and you may even be entertaining ways to get out of it because you're just not happy. I need you to hear me, my sister, because the maturity that marriage requires is not based upon your age or how cultured you are or seasoned or sophisticated. For the marriage covenant, we're talking about how mature you are in Christ because he is the why for marriage. So let's get into it. There's nothing worse than feeling miserable 
and stuck. And while our society makes the marriage commitment easy to break, as a Christian, you have more to consider because God hates divorce and he hates adultery. So much so that when the mystery of marriage, where the two become one flesh is broken because the husband betrays his companion made by covenant, and I can also say the wife, Malachi 2 talks about a curse as well as anguish of heart. And the scripture says that God gets quiet on you. And I don't think that's what you want. I mean, we need God to speak, especially when we're hurting. That said, I'm not necessarily talking to women who are physically abused here. That's a completely different topic. But I do want to serve those who are faint, those who are tired, maybe even completely downcast in heart, because I know the struggle. And what I'm saying is not easy, nor is it obvious. I mean, personally, I'm married, but I didn't realize the gravity of the commitment until much later. Somewhere in the back of my mind, as I walked down the aisle towards the altar, I was thinking, if this doesn't work out, no problem. We'll just get divorced. I had the ways of the world on my mind as a Christian and not the way of God. So I need you to hear me. The value made to your husband was a covenant before God, not just a promise to the man. And a covenant in the general sense is not broken because it's sealed with blood in the same way that you can't separate the water from two glasses of, of two, two different glasses now merged into one. You can't separate that water. When you marry, you are one in the eyes of God and your marriage covenant was sealed on the wedding night by the blood that should have been shed with the breaking of the hymen as a virgin. Antiquated, I know, but still relevant to why marriage does not offer an easy exit. And as controversial as I may sound in this day, Biblically speaking, the value made to your husband and he to you as his wife is supposed to replicate or reflect the same level of commitment Christ made to you in the shedding of his blood on the cross. And Jesus said, Moses only allowed divorce for those hardened in heart. Spiritually, when you're hardened to God, he won't make you have relationship with him. And in your marriage, he won't make you stay in it. But don't assume it's as simple as the world makes it sound to just divorce. See, as a Christian, toughness doesn't mean hardening yourself to your spouse. There's a difference. Hardness will come from looking at your husband's failings and shortcomings. It incubates offense until resentment, bitterness, and an unwillingness to give is fortified, closing you off completely. Whereas toughness will come from a resolve to please God, please him at a personal cost, just like Jesus. So you're committed to giving of yourself, even when it's hard. And that's the making of a good marriage. See, marriage is not a commitment to self, but to the one you marry. So you vowed to die to self, to consider him more than self to build him more than self and give of self over and over again. And when both of you in the marriage embrace what it means to die like Christ, your marriage will be beautiful. It'll be an example for the world to see how God loves his people and it will enable godly offspring according to Malachi. 
But if either of you in the marriage is hardened, then the experience is as absent of Christ and you'll look and you'll get the results just like the world. And let's face it, most people, including the strongest of Christians, don't go into marriage ready to die. We're looking through rose-colored glasses, expecting marriage to be what we've pictured for ourselves. The dream come true. We want what we want because we want it. And we expect the person we married to accommodate those wants. It's very rare to hear anyone go into a marriage wanting to love another the way the other needs to be loved. Most think of themselves and how they'll be loved and satisfied and cherished and supported. So giving of self can easily become conditional. You do for me, then I'll do for you. And when conditions aren't met, you don't do for me, then I'm not doing for you. Or you don't give as much as I give, so I'm not giving more to you. But that's a hardened heart at work. And that's what makes marriage hard. But like I said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, meaning you as a Christian begin going into conversations and into activities and plans with a different mindset. You're choosing to take off the rose colored glasses and begin looking through the lens of Christ to define love as well as to see how he demonstrated love. And then you're determining how you're going to follow his example which means you begin to give of yourself as Christ did regardless. That's what, means, that's what it means to be tough. You deliberately look through the right lens. You've put on the Lord Jesus, put on the mind of Christ, and you're willingly learning obedience. And with that kind of resolve and mindset, God can begin to bring healing to your marriage. You'll begin to experience a life-giving environment instead of a miserable one because you're no longer responding based upon your husband, but now you're responding based upon the word of God itself. Let me break it down further. When your husband makes decisions that you just don't understand or appreciate or when he's mean or moody, you're choosing to demonstrate the meaning of love as, as a Christ follower. And this is daily. This daily and regular willingness to follow Christ and be transformed. This daily and regular decision to be renewed in mind. This daily and regular willingness to walk with humility before God will keep you going when you just want to throw in the towel because Christ did not come to please himself according to Romans 15. It'll keep you growing in selflessness because you're intentional about having the mind of Christ based upon 1 Peter 4 and 12. Your humility before God will put you in a posture of self-denial, which will keep God on your side to hear your prayers and answer basic cares of your heart or the dire straits that can show up in any marriage. And I know the sacrifice of giving and forgiving and letting go of offense and holding your tongue and controlling your anger and being patient. It feels like suffering because it is. <laughs> That's a part of marriage. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, except I think they did it on purpose. <laughs> but when you strive towards God's will and purpose, whether your spouse does or doesn't, Peter says you're a partaker of Christ's suffering and that his glory will be revealed. And before you roll your eyes, remember, when the going gets tough, 
but tough get going. And again, going means you as a Christian surrender to do his will, not your own. You're yielded to the word of God, even when it feels unfair. You're offering yourself even when it feels like it's just too much. You give when it feels one-sided. You do this as unto God and your whole family benefits. The temperature in your home will be pleasant. The tension will break. Unity and harmony and peace will come in your house. And the companionship you hope for will be present especially when both you and your husband understand that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ at work. Christianity 101, which makes the sacrifice and the effort worth it. So stop complaining and fussing. Stop regretting or even threatening to leave and change your approach. Look at what you're doing and compare it to what is written in scripture. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is a great place to start. If you're not doing what's written there, if you're not doing anything that's found in that passage or many other passages, repent, repent and pray that God would convict you towards change. Notice I said, pray for your change, not his. And yes, I do mean pray, pray because you'll need help. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, which means you cannot produce the fruit of love or patience or any other fruit found in Ephesians, let alone humility in your own strength. You may be able to muster the willpower once or twice, but after the flesh, after that, the flesh, it will revolt. The flesh will always resist. And so you're praying because your father knows you and he knows what you're going through. And he's given Jesus so that you can learn from him and find rest for your soul. He doesn't want you troubled in heart. But if you do marriage out of flesh, that is do marriage the way you want, when you want and how. Or if you're looking at bad examples in order to handle your situation, the God-ordained institution of marriage will be at the very least further strained, if not completely ruined. Because apart from the ways of God, you cannot have a healthy marriage. And so your repentance for always doing what's right in your, your own eyes, your repentance has to be from a sincere heart. Your decision is to do marriage, not your way, but his way. And then you're choosing to worship God, not in singing a song or listening to music or talking about his goodness alone, but your worship is in your actions. Your worship is seen. It's seen when you yield to the word of God, where you make him bigger than you and your husband and your problems. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before going to the cross, he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. That's what it, that's what Hebrews 5 says. He prayed and he was heard because of his godly fear. Yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. In other words, God heard him, but he didn't take Jesus out of the situation because there was a work to finish for the redemption of humanity. And so be clear, there are some things you're going through in your marriage and you've cried out to God. And just like Jesus, God has heard you, but there's been no change because you're being refined to look like your savior. 
Remember, you are the bride of Christ, making ready for his return by cleansing yourself from the corruption of this world. And in the same way that Christ loved the Father enough to live in this world in complete obedience by loving us, a broken people, we are to love one another. Romans says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning while our status was at its worst, Christ willingly gave his life so that we could be reconciled together with the Father. Now we give our lives, not just for everyone else, but we start at home and give of ourselves to the one we married. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And this is true whether you're uncomfortable or completely miserable. If you've lost your incentive or motivation to pray, or if it just feels like it's over, understand that when marriage is tough or hard, it may be like Lazarus in the tomb, stinking. It may seem easier to quit or just easier to blame your spouse for his actions or inactions, or it may seem easier to just wait for him to change. Change first, but that won't be the will of your father. It's not how you'll grow. And watch this. God does not want you immature forever. So another opportunity to grow will surface until you decide to toughen your resolve to do the word of God. It doesn't mean that your partner is right or that growing is not necessary for him, but it does mean that you're willing to die to selfishness and pride. You're willing to die from your own ways for the sake of your marriage. Proverbs says that the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. So I challenge you to consider the wisdom from God that's needed to build your house again, rather than the folly that pulls it down. In other words, look at your actions, your behaviors, look at your response to the covenant of marriage made before God and make adjustments to please the father. Be tough woman and fight for your family even when you're disappointed or angry or neglected or hurting or betrayed, whatever it is. And if husbands and wives are listening to me today, I'm saying it'd be great, great if he made more money. Great if she were more attentive. Great if he didn't work all the time. And great if she did a better job cleaning. It'd be great. But we didn't marry perfect people. We married people who are being refined, people who are growing in grace and knowledge, people who God continues to conform to the image of his dear son. And so while it's easy to do life with your spouse when everything is going your way, remember you married an imperfect person, so it's not going to go your way all the time. And that's okay because you're learning how to obey God when your spouse is doing what's right as well as when he's doing what's wrong. You're learning how to focus and obey the father through the process. And when you're tired, you look even more carefully at the example given to you from the gospel, where God, God himself, is married to the backslider. That is, he will not break his promise to people, even though we betray him, neglect him, overlook him, or we're careless towards him. He may have called Israel harlots and he may have even made them accountable for their adultery, but his loving kindness never waned. 
And as a result, we are the benefactors of his great love. Hallelujah. His great love, which he loved us. We have access to him because the son of God loved enough to obey, saying, nevertheless, not my will. Now we're no longer enemies of God, but he calls us friend. Likewise, we keep loving or giving of ourselves to our husbands with a nevertheless, nevertheless mentality in order to obey our father. And be clear, it's not an easy love because we're not released when our feelings get hurt or when there is unbearable disappointment. This love doesn't end because Christ's love for us never ends, which means there is suffering in this love and we learn obedience in the suffering. So just consider marriage as on the job training. In this God-given covenant called marriage, you're learning what it means to follow Christ in practice and not theory alone. So toughen your resolve and pray. Then worship, woman. Let the Lord show himself strong in your life. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for giving to us marriage because you gave to us your only son. And we thank you that as we are the bride who makes herself ready for your return, that you will continue to root out of us those things that don't please you, that you move from our hearts, selfish ambition and self-seeking, that we're no longer focused on our desires, our will and our way, but Lord, that we are a surrendered people, that it is your way that we desire to walk in. And so I commit every woman unto you right now and I pray that you would bring healing of heart, that you would show us how to let go of offense and how to forgive even when it's hard, that you would show us how to live with a tough mentality where we don't faint in days of adversity, but it's during these days where you grow us, during these days where we're strengthened and where we understand the hope that does not disappoint. And we thank you, Father, that your word will not return to you void. So we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over our marriages and we pray, Father God, that there would be no betrayal, no treachery, that there would be no place where we're hardened towards one another, but you would deliver us from the lie. I commit the marriages unto you and I pray, Father, that righteousness would be seen in the earth as husbands love their wife like Christ loves the church and wives submit themselves to their husbands, that we together would love one another because we love you. And so I thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to encourage the weak right now, to strengthen our resolve and to keep each one of us strong in you so that we don't separate ourselves, that we don't commit violence against ourselves, that we don't bring faction and, and, and evil into our homes, but Lord, that our family would be healthy and healed. I commit our, ourselves unto you right now, and I thank you, Father, for being faithful to watch over your word, to perform it in each one of our lives. So I declare our marriage is healthy, healed, and whole, even now. In Jesus' name. And all of the believers said, Amen. You be encouraged, woman of God. And let me say this practically speaking, if you need help, you reach out and you get help. Don't wait till it's just completely over to call someone. Call sooner than later and know that you're not in marriage alone. There are plenty of people who want to pray with you and for you. I'm one of them. Join me.
anytime on a woman pray podcast join me anytime for woman pray mentoring join me anytime for woman pray intensives that's what it's all about it's about aligning ourselves with the word of god so that when we pray we pray effectively and we see change not just in our marriages but in our lives in jesus name amen we'll see you real soon